discuss the business of cybersecurity. Here are your co-hosts and cybersecurity experts, Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Security Squawk Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Brian Horning, here with Reginald Andre and Randy Bryan. How are you, gentlemen? Welcome to another week. Dry it's good day. to see you, Brian. <laughs> What's that? I said, it's good to see you, Brian. I know, you too. I don't know. I got lines going across my, my screen. And it's messing me up. Um, so welcome to another show, folks. We got uh, courts and campuses and cyber attacks. We decided today is a little bit of a follow-on to what we did last week, which was to review a bunch of cyber insurance applications, or at least the questions on one application, and let you know kind of what, why they're asking these questions, why you want to fill them out a certain way, mainly truthfully. Um, and we thought today would be a good time to follow on with that. We will get into some kind of cyber attacks that are happening out there in the world, but towards the end of the show, we're going to dive into cyber, cyber insurance claims that have either been denied or the cyber insurance company went to court and sued the company because they paid them and decided, hey, wait a minute, we shouldn't have paid you and we want that money back. So we're going to bring up and cite on the show today some of those uh, in examples and deep dive into those and explain to you why they happened and what you need to be aware of so those types of things don't happen to you. Before we do, I'll let Andre uh, talk to everybody about why we do the show for free and what we ask for a fee in return for that. We do this um, show to get, get out the information. I believe it's probably going on three years now that we've been consistent, only missed about three in the last three years. And we feel that it's really important that um, you as a business owner know about the different um, security aspects that you should be taking for your business so that as you, we talk about these um, articles and, and, and cases, so you don't have to go through this because it's not only about dealing with the remediation and the incident response, but now you're going to have, you're going to see stuff that's been dragging on for years and it's just a headache that you shouldn't have to deal with. So it's free so that you can apply it. And then, you know, if you have any um, uh, issues or questions, reach out to any one of us and we'll be more than happy to help. Yep. Thank you so much, Andre. Uh, and today, folks, we're gonna start off with, you know, a lot of different, there's a lot of different ones out there. And, and a couple of interesting things that we wanna point out as we were researching for the show is one, Man, they bury these deep, uh, these articles about this stuff deep. And as I was commenting to you guys in the green room, and I, you know, I feel like, um, you know, I feel like part of it, you know, as I was reading through it, I'm like, man, I'm like, this cyber insurance product, there's, there's really two different products at, at the end of the day. There's the product for really big companies that if they got hit would cost these insurance companies a tremendous amount of money and then kind of like everybody else. Right. And everybody else is kind of treated differently in a couple different ways. And we're going to kind of talk about that as we get into this today. But one of the big ways that I noticed that stood out to me was 
the bigger companies don't get to fill out the application that we went through that most businesses have to fill out. They have to go through a more extensive risk assessment with these insurers and, and their premiums are well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, where I think most of the businesses, you know, I think the application we reviewed at the top, it said $250 million or less in revenue. And I think that that's where the businesses under that revenue, they are allowed to fill out the paper application um, and still get insurance. But as I was researching this stuff, guys, one big thing that stood out to me was, wow, you're more likely to be denied if you're filling out, a, not sued after the fact, right? Not, hey, we're going to pay for you. And, and they're just denying you outright if you fill out a paper application. And I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and profess that I know everything about this, but I just get the sense as I'm going through all this and I'm seeing things that, um, and we can debate this if you guys want, but I just feel like that the paper application is nothing but a setup job on most small to medium sized businesses where they feel like they're covered with this cyber insurance policy. But at the end of the day, the insurers, kind of know they're never going to pay this policy out. And I don't know if it's time for guys like us to start calling this industry out because it does impact our industry. But the reality of it is, is that we could really be living in a, in a time and place where the cyber insurers have figured out we can make a lot of money off this product as long as we don't have to pay out claims, which is yeah. what I go through with my pet insurance. Um, and most people, I think there's, there's two types of insurances right now. that I think most people avoid like the plague pet insurance and extended car warranties. Right. And I'm thinking cyber insurance is right up there with those two products in my mind. Thoughts guys. I don't really know anything about either one of those two. You just, uh, mentioned extended car warranties or pet insurance. I mean, I have a, Toyota extended car warranty, but that's from Toyota from the factory. So right. it's different. You, know, you can go and buy. Um, there's one I hear the commercial all the time. I don't remember, but you can buy, you know, war car warranty where you pay, you know, 100, 200, 300 a month. I don't know what the cost is. Um, and if something happens to your car and it's covered under the policy, you know, and, 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 and just like pet insurance, you pay a small amount of money, right? <clears throat> and it's got to be something serious that your pet or your car experiences in order for it to be covered, right? So, you know, if your dog, you know, gets a little skin infection and its hair starts falling out, probably not going to be covered, right? If your dog gets hit by a car and needs major surgery because it broke bones in its body and stuff like that, probably going to be covered. Right. In the same sense, if you have car warranty insurance, you know, or car, uh, uh, a car warranty or, or, or a third party warranty on your car, oil changes and tire rotations aren't going to be covered. Right. But if your engine blows up, probably going to be covered. Right. That's kind of how it works. Right. So, you know, I, I just think it's not the same game with cyber insurance. I think cyber insurers are like, hey, let's throw this application in front of them with like 50 questions on it and let's hope they answer one of them not right so we can deny their claim. Wow. 
that's that's what I think is going on out there. So yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happens here in South Florida. You know, we technically our roofs are supposed to be maintained. You, you know, and then now a claim comes, and one of the things the insurance company was going to say is, well, show us proof that you had a professional, licensed, and insured roofer maintain your roof the last ten years. And it's like, come on, really? The hurricane just passed. It's obvious it damaged it. But and then now they settle with you for you know pennies on the dollar. So I mean that's the that's kind of the gist of what we're going to talk into talk about today. We're going to jump into those things. Um, but before we do, guys, I mean, I kind of want to jump into this University of Michigan attack real quick. Um, you know, we we keep talking about K through twelve and, and universities, um, and you guys have brought up an article here for University of Michigan. Uh, and they shut down their network after a cyber attack. One of the largest universities in the country um, is basically shut everything down. So uh, I don't know if one of you wants to take this. Do you, do you have any uh, insight on this, Randy? Uh, no, no, not Negative? top of my head. All right, so let's just go through and read it together then because, uh, you know, this is a big deal. I mean, this is a big, big school, big football program. Hmm. Um, they make a lot of money, a lot of different ways other than providing an education. Um, and I, guess, I would imagine that this impacts just more than the delivery of education, probably impacts them playing football and other sports this week as well. Um, so it's taken all of its systems offline to deal with a cybersecurity incident causing a widespread impact on online services the night before classes started. Wow. wow. Are you, are you surprised about that, Andre? No, man. Talk about pressure into paying or into doing whatever these guys, you know, cyber criminals want them to do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's coincidence that this happened here, folks? I mean, I mean, our, the fans of our show probably know that, that this is a softball kind of statement or question. Uh, but, you know, most people that don't watch us regularly uh, might not know, right, that things like this do happen usually at, at a, you know, the cyber criminals just don't get lucky with their timing here. Right. right. Um, they probably have been sitting in this network for a very long time waiting to strike. And they chose the day before the night before classes started to do so. Um, be interesting to find out if we're dealing with a cyber criminal or somebody who showed up on you know, a student who showed up on U of M's campuses and, and figured out pretty quickly he could deploy ransomware or, or do some kind of cyber attack. Wow. Yeah. You never know. Uh, one of the oldest and largest educational institutes in the United States already said that employing over 30,000 academic and administrative staff and have roughly 51,000 students. So right there, just present time, you're looking at 81,000 records. And then you got to think about all the prior staff and students that are also in the database. Um, in a series of announcements published on the university's website, starting on Sunday, a cybersecurity incident caused IT outages and disrupted access to vital online services, including Google, Google Canvas, Wolverine Access, and email. Although U of M engaged its IT team to restore the impacted systems, the administrative administration felt it was safest to disconnect U of M network from the internet due to the severity of it. I'm going to stop right there. That sentence gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> you, you see anything wrong with that for that sentence right there? 
about it disconnecting it from the internet? Well, the, the sentence, yeah, and, and then the sentence prior to that, and then the order of that sentence and how things went down, right? It's like they started restoring and then decided we need to disconnect. Uh, I see what you're saying, yeah. Right? You, you got a bad restore. Well, not only that, it's you shouldn't be doing restoration at that point. You know, you know right. what I mean? Like, maybe, like it sounds like they're, I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't sound like their incident response is very well practiced. Mm-hmm. It also goes back to the timing. I think that the timing obviously was on purpose to create the most havoc. And so imagine classes start, you know, Monday morning and Sunday afternoon, you're the IT mm-hmm. department and you get the, you know, you get word that, you know, hey, everything's been ransomed. Classes start tomorrow. Fix it. Probably they went right to work restoring it. And then and then they called their lawyers and their lawyers are like, hold up, hold up. You can't do this. You got to do yeah. it in the proper order. I would assume that probably something like that went down. I, I would agree. I mean, or somebody just with knowledge along the way said we can't do it like this. But it's indicative of a poor incident response plan, in my opinion. Um, So it also goes on to say this includes wired and Wi-Fi campus internet. So the kids don't have internet. Can't imagine how that's going. (laughs) M-Pathways, e-research, DART, and all systems used in student registration. Wow. So the kids can't even register. Um, What else we got? So Zoom, Adobe Cloud, Dropbox, Slack, Google. Canvas and Adobe Cloud Services have been restored and can be accessed from outside networks, although their availability is unstable due to overload. It's interesting. What does that mean? However, the timing of the incident should not be ignored. The attack occurred on the eve of the new academic year. Students and faculty were preparing to start classes. And due to this, University of Michigan administration has decided to waive late registration or disenrollment fees for August. Well, that was nice of them. Right. Uh, that's going to be the least of their problems when this is over. Uh, students rely on the currently offline systems to access class information and they navigate the large campus, especially during the initial days of classes. Due to the lack of access, students will be given special consideration to students for attendance and assignments. The announcement also warns that some financial aid payments and refunds will be delayed due to the IT outage. Uh, to view up-to-date information about class schedules and locations, students are urged to consult this webpage. U of M notes that it's working with external cybersecurity experts and federal law enforcement to investigate the attack. And that seems to be about it. No, no, last sentence, last sentence there. Huh. Move it. That's Michigan State. Oh, Michigan State. Okay, Michigan yeah, State. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's across the way there. Okay, okay. Uh, Spartanburg, I think they're in, or somewhere like, or uh, where are they at? I forget where they're at. They're the, not in Spartanburg. Um, the part that caused me a little bit of uh, anxiety just this second was the part about um, financial aid payments not getting paid, because most of the students I've known over the years, you know, they're counting on that payment, you know. They're eating ramen the weekend before they get that student that student financial aid payment. They're eating that all weekend long because their budget. And now can you imagine if, if that's really you and you're a student and your money's not coming for who knows how long? 
I mean, it might be a week, it might be two weeks, it might be a month. Um, it's get, that's going to cause a little bit of a disruption, to say the least. Sure enough, yeah. Um, I mean, it's going to be ugly. Um, you know, along with kind of what Randy pointed out there uh, with his concern, you know, I, I think this is going to have, again, our, our federal government is going to be stepping in here especially when it comes to a big school like this and their government's going to use their weight for, uh, of, of paying and giving these schools money to operate and allowing them to use federal funds to operate their schools. Because let's, let's face it. We know how this system works in this country, right? Kids, unless they plan well, or they've received a, a, some kind of an academic or, or athletic scholarship, which, those are dwindling year by year. Um, you're ultimately using financial aid and loans to pay for your education, um, you know, outside of outside funding or your parents or things like that. So I would imagine that, you know, the federal government is eventually going to take, do what they did to other industries and make these schools start doing the right things about cybersecurity or it will jeopardize their ability to use federal funds for student loans. Mm -hmm. Thoughts? Because I think that's where this is going to go. Yep. That's the story of our, like you said, story of our government. They're going to come and save the day, but not fix the actual problem to like say, well, why didn't you do this? You, you, you know, you didn't have this in place or that in place. Therefore it's your problem to deal with. Um, it's going to happen. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens here at the university of Michigan. Um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely keep everybody updated. It just happened, you know, in the last 24 hours. So, um, next show we'll probably talk about it and, and, and go in and go into it. So, um, you guys want to, uh, take some, viewer questions or do you want to go into the cyber insurance application? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's go for the viewers. All right, so- uh, yeah. people for the people. Yep, so qu question comes in from Victory. Uh, and she asks, what is the benefit of an incident? I guess she meant response plan, she put report plan, and how do you create one? I think that's a good question. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so why don't we talk about some benefits first of, a, of an incident response plan? Um, and then we'll and then we'll tackle the second half of that question. So, one of you guys start. I gotta do something on my computer here. Sure. So um, again, being in South Florida, I'm gonna go ahead and give the analogy of a hurricane. And um, you have a hurricane coming. That's not the time to plan. You know, where can I buy wood? Where can I buy shutters? Yep. Yep. Where can I go to this local supermarket to get um, you know water and and goods and so forth like that. So the last thing that you want to do during a crisis is to try to figure out what the plan is. So um, the benefit of the incident response plan is for, well, first kind of talking about what the incident response plan is, is if there is an incident, if it, like in this case with the university or in your business, you know, your emails don't go down or there's ransomware, who do you call? What do you do? What do you disconnect? What do you shut down? It's, it's essentially laying out the procedures so then that way it's been thought of, you know, when heads are cool and, and nobody's panicking. And then now you can open up that plan and then start following it. Yeah. You know, to add to that, the 
you, you mentioned that it's well thought out or that it's planned. The, the cyber criminals and the cyber attackers are going to try to drop their bombs to create the most havoc. Like we just saw in this particular story, they waited until the night before. They did. It wasn't like the night before school started, somebody clicked on an email and then boom, all of a sudden they had ransomware. This probably started sometime in the summer, sometime maybe in the late spring. They've been in their systems a while. Over at the Hacker Central, they probably have a little war room where they're like, hey, boss, I've got access to Michigan University Network. And then they all start brainstorming. They're like, when would be the best time to drop the bomb? You know, somebody who always says it's like 530 on Friday. And they're like, no, no, no. Fourth of July. Like, no, no, no. Night before classes start. Boom. And so they they try to wreak the most psychological damage that they can because when they do that, you're likely to do stupid things and you're like likely to like like in this case, just start restoring systems. What would that have done if they would have restored systems? They restore them, they're operational, but the whole reason or the whole way that the people got in didn't go away. They would just get right back in and, and probably be worse at that point. So the whole idea then there is to give you a plan that's succinct, that's to the point, that doesn't require emotion, that tells you what to do. You know, you open up the blue book. First thing it says, you know, call the disconnect Lord. from the Internet, which these guys had to have like yeah. five meetings to figure out, apparently. Exactly. <laughs> you know, tells you who to call, tells you what to say and all that jazz. So, yeah, right. it's, uh, I would say that would be the, the main benefit. How do you go about creating one, y'all? Well, let me let me go back to, the you know, kind of echoing what you said about the benefit. Right. The biggest benefit is is time. Right. You, it's the amount of time it takes you to respond. And as you can see in the example we shared with the University of Michigan, it took them a minute to even make this decision, which if the incident response plan was there and practiced, that decision would have already been laid out in the plan, right? So it would have been like the, probably one of the first things you do is remove internet access, right? When there's some kind of an event going on. So you can investigate. Um, the fact that it even had to go to administrators, you know, for their approval in the middle of the event is a problem for me because that shows me that there's lack of a plan being in place and uh, ahead of time. Um, so these are the things that when we look at stories and we read them as, as experts, we can dissect what's being said, assuming that the reporter reflected what was told to them correctly. Um, we have no control over that. But if a reporter writes in a story that this is kind of how it went down, we're reading that and we're interpreting that to see like, OK, you know, that's indicative of somebody with a good incident response plan or what we see with the University of Michigan. They may have had one, but how well was it practiced? Who who knew it well enough to, you know, be able to execute on it properly? Sounds like they had to go to some higher ups to get to some authorization and in the middle of the night, you don't want to have to get a hold of, you know, an administrator that for a school because at two o'clock in the morning, they're probably sound asleep and it's probably going to take you a while to get a hold of them. Right. So, put, But put yourself in the IT. Let's just say they have a 24 seven help desk. Right. Yep. And yep. now it's two in the morning. IT guy just realized this. And now he has to make that decision. Do I shut down the entire school system? And in five hours, this whole place is going to be packed. Or do I go up the chain? So I think that's probably, I mean, I don't say think, but 
you know that that could be something where he was in a in in a a very difficult situation and mm-hmm. that like you said that plan wasn't saying you will not get in trouble by following these rules yep and not only that andre it also kind of speaks to the technology that the school has in place because you know and i know that there's ways you can isolate things without taking the whole entire thing down mm-hmm. right and that and they clearly don't have that in place Right. So that alone kind of makes you wonder, right? Because mm-hmm. an incident response plan will reveal this stuff to you guys, right? You'll go through a tabletop and you'll go, wow, if we have a problem, we have to shut everything down. Right. Where in a lot of cases, we're not having that conversation with our clients. We're saying, like, hey, we're going to isolate endpoint by endpoint based on what's been impacted. And we have the ability to do that. Right. But if you don't have the ability to do that, then you've got to pull the plug on the whole internet. And that these are things that I see, right? So incidents re- response plans, and then and then once you have the plan, doing the tabletops and working through those exercises so you understand what you're up against should you be facing an event. These are, Those are the types of things that are being revealed. Like, you know, if, if somebody knew high up, like, you mean if we have a problem, we have to take our whole entire everything offline, maybe we should look at investing in something that doesn't require that much of a drastic response to something like that, especially a school of this size. I mean, if we're talking about a small community college, the things I'm talking about might not make a lot of sense, but you know, like we talk about all the time, you know, you don't want the, the college dorm to be able to take down the whole entire campus. And we may find out that that's what happened at the university of Michigan. Uh, So we'll, we'll keep you updated and we'll let you know. So, um, going on to how do you create one? Wow. Um, does anybody want to start or you want me to start? Go for it. All right. So, I mean, the reality of it is, is an incident response plan. Um, you know, the way that we create them is we do it by surveying the business, right? We, we, we survey the business from the aspect of, and it really depends on the size of the business, how we approach this. Smaller businesses, we can kind of do this maybe like in one or two shots where a larger business that has multiple departments and multiple layers, you know, we have to conduct several interviews or, you know, go through a process of querying that department on what their critical assets are and what they need to run every day. Right. So the whole idea of the incident response plan is to mitigate the blast radius from an event. Right. So we want to shrink things down. Um, We want to shrink things down to a point where the blast radius can't impact other departments. So if one department's impacted, another department, we're, we're trying to like shield that. But a lot of businesses aren't mature enough for that yet. So. Um, but you still have to evaluate things on a department by department basis or function by function basis, right? So it really is with an incident response plan, the easiest way to go about it, in my opinion, is first you have to identify, right? You have to identify your critical assets. What are the, what's the data? What's the, what are the soft, what's the software and what's the hardware that you need to protect so your business can run? Right. There's there's systems in your company that you need so your employees can work every day. You need to identify what those are. Once you have those identified, those are your critical assets. 
those are the things you need to be concerned with protecting. As your business matures around this stuff, you can start looking at things like not critical assets um, and including those as part, of, as part of your plan. But at the end of the day, the name of the game is to make sure that business isn't impacted so that employees don't, so employee, if, so the whole idea of the incident response plan is to make sure the business runs so employees aren't impacted and customers don't notice. If you can achieve those two things in your incident response plan, you're winning, right? And that's where most companies get it wrong. They usually get something wrong where employees are impacted and they can't produce or customers notice, and then they start to get pissed off and ask questions. Yeah. So go ahead. And a lot of times, you know, you think about the computers and the servers and the data, but we've seen incidents with payroll. Uh, we've seen incidents with uh, telephone systems. So like, you know, yes, you're looking at that broader picture, but you have to think of every single operation in your business. Yep. Andre or uh, Randy, any, any um, was just going to say, and you, you want, you want to be able to, um, put down, we've already said this, but basically put down your response to something happening to take emotion out of it, to take decision making out of it. Um, just so you do the right thing. This is really critical at the beginning because, you know, what if you rebooted all the machines, you know, um, that could lose valuable information that's sitting there in, in memory. Um, but you're basically got to think through all of these things to make sure um, that it, uh, you know, that the right thing's done when it happens. Cause that's so critical. Yeah. For smaller businesses, this is not as much of a challenge to tackle as bigger businesses, bigger businesses, the challenge becomes, you have multiple departments, you usually have department heads, and then you have to go around and interview all those department heads to determine like what in their department is critical to them. Those decisions or those determinations really are not best made by people in the C-suite because they really don't know. They're not involved enough, right? We've tried it um, a, you know, a few times years past when we first started doing this stuff. We tried to just work with like C-level people, but then once we talked to them, we got the plan in place, and then we go to you know, give it to the employees and the department heads and then say, here's your incident response plan you know, start educating them on it. And then they start going, well, that's not going to work for us because of this, that, and the other thing, right? So really getting to the frontline people is critical for bigger companies to understand, like, what do these people need to do in order to function and, and do work for your company every day so you can generate revenue and produce your products and services, right? Um, so it gets a little bit more complex the bigger the company, this incident response stuff. Um, and you know, smaller companies have an advantage to getting this stuff done. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't think there's any excuse for, you know, a company under 50 employees to knock this out within 90 days, um, and have a pretty good incident response plan under their belt. Um, um go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to add, I thought you were finished. I'm sorry. I was just going to add, like, you know, we ought to talk about some of the things that specific things that, that ought to go in there, you know, and I was thinking specifically of, you know, um, how do you contact each other? Like, well, yeah, it's huge. if everybody's on teams, and that's uh, how you contact. Randy, you, just, you just gave us an idea for our future podcast. Maybe next week. We'll, we'll just, we'll, I mean, it's going to take a while. So we're going to need like an hour. Right. Um, but we could go through 
an incident response plan and how to how to create one for you know a business under 50 employees i think that's reasonable and, and even if you're more than 50 employees you, you can still learn from it um just understand that you're going to have multiple different layers to work through versus a small business that might be a little bit more flat than yours um that's that's really the big difference. And then Victory followed up here. She wants to know: Is that the benefit of microservices versus building a monolith? I'm not really sure the context of the question here. Um, I don't know if you guys do. I'm kind of reading that as like: Is she saying to break things down in the microservices versus one big one big thing? And I, I would say yes. That's the key. That's where most businesses get it wrong, in my opinion. Uh-huh. is they try to tackle incident response as protecting the whole business versus protecting just the critical assets, right? If you know you need QuickBooks, if you know you need your CRM, if you know you need yeah, whatever the, software you cool. use to produce your products and services, I think of like, you know, software on like, you know, CNC machines or if you work in a warehouse, you know, the, the software that runs, you know, the, the assembly line, things like that, things that, you know, all the things that you use day to day to make stuff happen in your business. What shouldn't be considered are, you know, <clears throat> I hate picking on marketing, but I always pick up marketing, right? Marketing is important, but is marketing critical to my business right now? If, if I don't market, will my customers notice? Will my employees notice? No, right? And that's my goal. To, you know, to protect them, to make sure my employees can work and to make sure my customers aren't impacted. Yeah, right? that wouldn't be mission critical. Right. So I wouldn't consider, at least in my business, I wouldn't mm-hmm. consider marketing mission critical. And it would probably be something that when I had the resources, look at protecting. But right out of the gate, you know, I'm looking to protect the things that my team needs to do their work every day and the, and the tools that we need to deliver our services to our customers. Right. We protect those things and we make sure that we have, you know, redundancies and backups and, you know, um, uh, run books and fail safes in place so we can move the paper if we have to. Whatever the backup plan is, um, that's how we look at it. So, yeah, definitely microservices or, or if that's how you're wording it. I hope we answered your question there, Victory. Um, and we appreciate you throwing those in here. You guys have anything you want to add to that? I, I, or do you look at her question in a different way? Just let me know. Yeah, I mean, that's how that's basically how, how I read it as well. I mean, um, at first read, I was thinking um, layered approach, you yep. know, versus, um, you know, just hey, one big, big thing. Because you all know in cybersecurity, like 15 years ago, it was you have a castle, you build a moat around it and you keep everybody out. Mm -hmm. And the philosophy that we run off now is called zero trust, um, which one of those things is assuming that they're already in. And so you set up every little step along the way, you set up a roadblock basically to them where things are layered, where you don't have all the keys to the kingdom in one place. You just make it difficult to get around in your system. And if you're ingesting all the data of everything going on, we call it telemetry. If you're investing that, if you're ingesting that data and you got AI looking over it, you're more likely to catch them. If you've got little bitty roadblocks set up everywhere, all inside it, instead of this giant moat around the outside. But, you know, I don't know if that's what she was uh, meaning at that point, though. Hopefully we answered her question. If we didn't, 
throw up another one, Victor. You'd be happy to answer it. But she did give us a great idea for a future show. So boom. she did. That's what our <laughs> that's what our audience does for us. I mean, that, that's why if they ask questions and they put comments, we come up with more content. That's how this works. That's why we ask you to comment and share the show. There you go. That's great. Um, so um, we'll wrap up quickly here. Can you go four more minutes, Randy? Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, we'll wrap up quickly here just to kind of go into, and I'm going to kind of go rapid fire here um, with these cyber insurance uh, examples of claim denials. Um, this is a good article on avoiding the most common cyber insurance claim denials. And we'll kind of blow through these. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about them. If anybody has any questions about anything we cover, just throw them in the comments and we will answer them. Victory said that we did answer it. So good job, guys. Um, often referred to as negligence or failure to follow, failure to maintain. Uh, some carriers contain within their policy language a specific exclusion, which precludes coverage for claims arising from the insured's failure to ma maintain minimum adequate security standards. And I read this, right? And I kind of was like, oh, well, somebody could look at that and just go, ah, you know, we, we, we filled out the application and we got our coverage. So we're good, right? But you guys know, and I know, five minutes after they submit that application, shit changes on their network, right? And that's what this failure to maintain is where a lot of businesses get caught up is because throughout the year, stuff changes on your network, right? And I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. They're using these applications to deny you, right? It's not even like they're using these applications to then pay you and then come back at you and counter sue you later for, you know, claims that for, for paying out a claim they don't think they should have paid. The reality of it is, is that they're just denying based on what they find when they come in based on your answers in the cyber insurance application. And I think that they have enough data to know now that businesses aren't good enough with keeping up with change in their organization through an entire year to know that if they let that go three, six, nine months, there's going to be enough changes on that network to where this is going to be, this is why it's at the top of the list for this attorney who wrote this blog. Um, this, go ahead, Randy. Oh, I was just going to say, this is really interesting. And, you know, it's, it almost sounds like Brian, like, like you are making a case that this is intentional. And I really hope that you're wrong. Although no, I'm right. No, I'm right. Thinks no, I'm, you're I'm right. right. Um, but this is so true. Whenever you fill out these applications, one, what you fill out has to be true right then and there. Uh, two, it has to stay true going forward. So it's not just a one and done. And then three, you got to do best case practices regardless of what the application says. So if you turn on MFA at all your, you know, your cloud providers, okay, great. You checked off that box. But if you're not patching your systems, if you're not, you know, you know, if you don't have control of what's going on in your network, you mentioned that earlier, you know, the identify part. Man, if you're not doing those basic things, you're going to get a failure to maintain or you're going to get a neglect, basically something along the lines of gross negligence. Just like if, you know, if you went out and 
drank a bottle of tequila, then started trying to drive and then smashed into a tree and then said, hey, insurance company, pay, pay up. They're not going to pay you. That's gross negligence. That's not their fault that you did that. They shouldn't have to pay for things like that. And that's what they're trying to do here, basically. Yeah, I, lo I love the word reasonable because, you know, reasonable can be like kind of going back to what you're saying, Randy. Reasonable can be like, OK, you didn't have a computer 100 uh, percent patch because it was a week and you want to test to make sure there's no bugs. But if that one MFA account, for whatever reason, your tech was working on something, they needed to turn it off. They forgot. No audits are being done. No, no t alerts are being done. And that's how they get in. Boom. That's it. Thanks for paying. Thanks for paying that premium, but we're not going to give you anything. I mean, that, you're, you're not going to refund right. your premiums either. Because uh, this article, you know, we're familiar with the cottage health situation. Um, and that was human error that contributed to that event. Um, but it was determined that the hospital base lacked controls to determine if somebody changed something along the way that caused the problem. And because of that, they didn't get their, they, they, they got sued by their shareholders in a class action lawsuit. I, that was the end result. Um, so like this stuff is, is, is happening. I mean, it's, it's happening all over the place in terms of like companies that think they're doing one thing or they think they're doing it all the time. And they find out throughout the course of time and in, in the year or in the inner, in the interim of the policy that things changed now they're not now they're not in compliance and they didn't have the tools to detect when those things changed and as a result these insurance companies are not paying out uh, i'm going to skip over a piece uh oh can you hear me andre yeah i, I can hear you brian we can't hear you oh man i thought i lost connection to everybody we just lost connection to brian Hey, let's do the show without him. All right. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but just going back to what we're saying, don't just um, don't just fill out this application and you you got you know you get an award letter from your insurance company saying you've been approved and think now you're protected. Right. Um, just check check marking those boxes. It will come back to haunt you. Yeah. This is. Um, we should probably post this in the comments of. Uh, of our podcast at some point, because this is a really interesting article and it's, you know, we're always talking about regulation coming down. Am I, I back? Yeah. Hey, I think we're going to see regulation coming down. That's going to force, this is probably five years out, but it's going to force the insurance providers to own up to what they say they're going to do. Cause some of these things we get into are just straight up, just straight up disturbing that, that they're able to get away with it, even though they're selling insurance. The other thing is uh, pre-breach pre-breach lawsuits. So not so not only are they limiting what they pay for extortion and ransomware now. That's that's another way. Um, but pre-breach lawsuits, right? N meaning that you were breached before you got the insurance, or the security hole existed before you got the insurance. So if they can prove that, right? So let's talk about. You know what we talk about a lot on this show, zero day, right? When zero day and, and patches come out, if something came out in March of 2022 and I got a policy in June of 2023, 
right? And I get exploited by some by an exploit that's been known since June of 2022. The insurance companies are turning around going, they had that on their network prior to our policy being into effect. They signed something that said that they took care of all vulnerabilities when the policy started. This existed before the policy went into effect, so we're not paying it. And they're successfully hanging their hats on that. Randy's like, oh, no. He's like, I yeah. can't believe this shit. Yeah. About to break my neck from shaking it. <laughs> and then social engineering schemes, right? Um, this is new, in my opinion, right? This is um, insurers looking at how are companies getting hacked. And they're seeing a lot of activity around social engineering through email, through social media messages, through social media platforms, people clicking on the wrong things. And the insurance companies are saying, like, look, if your employees do something to cause a problem, we're not going to cover that either. Right. So going back to what I said at the beginning of the show, this is turning into a similar product to. Uh, pet insurance and extended car warranties. People are not going to see the value in it. And people are going to sock away funds to deal with these types of problems and almost self-insure themselves. Right. I don't have pet insurance anymore because when I used it, when I tried to use it, it didn't work. I was, I was, every claim was denied. So now I just have savings put away. So something unfortunate happens to one of my pets. I can go to the vet and just cover it myself. Because I'd rather, you know, put away $50 a month and save up my own funds than rely on insurance that, you know, if I just put it in a savings account, the money would be there, right? Versus relying on some third party to decide whether they want to, you know, do the right thing and give me my claim or not. And I, I really think that that's where this is going with this product, guys. And I really don't think it's something that businesses are going to be too keen on. Um, purchasing in the future based on where this is going. And that's kind of where I want to leave things today because I know we covered all, last week all the reasons why an application could get denied by going through it. But the reality of it is, is like the, the more and more you look into it, the more less attractive this becomes. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm biased here, but I would start working with a company, company like the three of ours and start protecting yourselves before I start going by by cyber yeah. insurance yeah. for a lot of different reasons. Right. So, all right, boys, thank you so much for your time. Right. Uh, we'll see everybody in the next show. And remember, share our show. And uh, if you have any questions or comments before we hit the air next week, throw them in the, in the uh, social media comment sections and, and we'll answer them. Appreciate everyone's support and stay safe out there. All right. See y'all. <laughs>